This is Dr. Dave coming to you live from Southern California on Christmas Eve, 2021, December 24th. There are two Christmases, and if you look up the plural of Christmases, there are either none or add an ES because there's only one Christmas. But the topic today, we'll step away from First John and John, resume them after the new year. I want to present to you a question. And the question is, there are two Christmases. Which one are you personally celebrating? There's the Christmas of the world. And there's the Christmas of the spirit of the meaning of what entered the world. I hope today to uncover, fold back the leaves that are covering the monument of wisdom and insight that you have never heard before. I know I haven't. I have before me in my studio, quote unquote, and that's a joke, probably six hours worth of study notes. And I have prayed before I got on the air today with you that God would just use me as his tool and to get through what you need to hear not everything I have written down. I've spoken before in the past, when you dig into God's word, it's like being in a mind where you find gold and you find precious stones. And the deeper you dig, you find other veins of gold and I found many of them. I hope to give you a few of them. And I hope for you tomorrow, or whenever you listen to this, because Christmas is either the 25th or the 7th of January. The date is not important. The incident is important. So the title is, is it Merry Christmas, M-E-R-R-Y? Christmas, or Mary, M-A-R-Y, the virgin who gave birth to the Jesus Christmas. Advent is four Sundays before Christmas. I never knew what Advent or Lent or Ash Wednesday meant. All I knew is on Ash Wednesday, you were supposed to go to church and get a sign of the cross with some soot on your forehead. So I would go into our chimney in Northridge where I grew up and I would reach my hand up into the soot of the flu and get a finger full of soot and make a sign of the cross as if I had gone to church and then go to school as if I was the Holy One. People, what's, what's on your forehead? Oh, it's Ash Wednesday. 
I couldn't tell you what it meant or what it forecast. But getting back to Advent, Advent is the bringing forth, the birthing, the initiation. And when Christ came back, the Advent, he not only brought with him the first coming of Christ, but he brought with him the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ, he did not come from this world. He came from outside of history. And he did not come by the will of man. He came by the will of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, in the NIV, New International Version, it talks about Mary visiting her cousin or in-law, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with who? Baptist, John the Baptist. And a God, an angel had appeared to Mary and said that she would be pledged to marry Joseph, a descendant of David. And the angel went to her, greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. And you'll notice every time an angel appears to someone in scripture, they're either freaked out, frightened, terrified, fall on their face, crumble, because that's the closest thing to being in the heavenly realm. So he tells Mary that she's going to have a child. She says, but I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You will have a son and his name will be Jesus. So we learn in Luke the setup. She's pregnant. She's not married. People can stone her. She's supposed to be married to Joseph. And then we flip over to Matthew. And Matthew has this very long introduction. That's why I never start out anybody new in the Bible in Matthew 1. Because you will get stuck and, and your tires will spin and you'll be down in the mud and you will never get out of Matthew 1. Because Matthew 1 has a genealogy as long, as lengthy, and as unassumingly not important as it is, it has a record of the genealogy of Jesus. And what you read from Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the first chapter, from the first verse from Abraham, down to the 17th verse. And it says there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile of Babylon to Christ. Now, if you were reading this today, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to you because you're not a first century Christian reading 
the book of Matthew. What he's referring to is if you break up those 14 generations, you have six seven-week periods. And seven is a very angelic heavenly number. This is not numerology. It's just to let you know that when Christ entered on the seventh of those six weeks, that he began the Sabbat, or he began the introduction of a New Testament. Now, everybody has in their mind the Christmas manger with Jesus in a manger. And we see the Magi or the wise men, three of them, bringing gold and incense and myrrh to the king child. They meet with King Herod, but this occurred two years after the wise men. The shepherds in the field were the ones that were there at the birth of Christ, but the wise men did not come until two years later. And when they met with Herod, Herod was, he killed his wife, he killed his son, he killed his daughter. He, he was a very wicked um, ruler, Roman ruler. And so when the wise men went to Herod and got an audience with him, they said, we saw the star and we know that the Messiah has been born. We're looking for him. And what does Herod do? He plays along and says, well, great. When you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him. But the wise men were wise and they didn't go back and tell him because if they did, he would have killed him. It says that Herod was terrified when he heard that there was a new king was being born. And because it was at two years of age, he put out a decree to kill every child in that area, two years of age and younger. So the cries of the Old Testament echo through into the New Testament. And I'm not going to bog down what I'm trying to get to with tons of scripture. Because that's always been a complaint of mine when I'm the one listening. The setting is that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because of the genealogy. Why is the genealogy important? Is because if Christ was not of the lineage of David, he could not be the Messiah. That's why the lineage and genealogy of Matthew is so long. It takes 17 or 16 chapters to get to the point that Christ is of Abraham and of the house of David. So Joseph and Mary pack up Caesar 
calls for a census and they have to go back to where their lineage is. And for David, it was in Bethlehem. It wasn't paying taxes. It was a census to count the people in the world. And the world at that time was controlled by Rome. In and out of today's talk, I want to introduce you to some of my heroes. Oswald Chambers, English, C.S. Lewis, English, and C.H. Spurgeon, English. I have over here somewhere in my pile. Last time I was going to give you C.S. Lewis's, who is the the hardest convert in his terms to ever be converted from England from an atheist. He's a renowned scholar, author. If you have not read or your children of five and older have not read the Chronicles of Narnia, I boobed them up last time because I don't edit these. I talk and then I push go and I don't come back and listen to them and edit them. So when I make mistakes, I have to come back and correct them. C.S. Lewis was the lion, the witch and the wardrobe was the first of the Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles are just, I think there's six or seven books, six. And Prince Caspian is the second. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The Silver Chair, The Horse and His Boy, and The Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle, seven. Of course, seven. Catch that. He also wrote The Through Tape Letters and Mere Christianity and among other ones. But C.S. Lewis is one of my one of my heroes, and those are the books that he wrote. What does it have to do with Christmas? Everything. There's a movie out now. I'd like to say it's great, but um, it could have been a lot better. But it is interesting, and I would encourage you to see it. The other is Oswald Chambers, and Oswald Chambers was another English missionary preacher. And Oswald Chambers has my utmost, utmost, utmost for your holiness my utmost for your holiness there's a small devotional that you can get and every day is a different scripture and his great intellect wisdom and view on the commentary of that scripture ch spurgeon gave a sermon that we'll talk about hopefully in time my drop dead Time is two o'clock my time, and we're at one twenty-nine. So I gotta give her the give her her head and kick her a little bit and get her going. C. H. Spurgeon gave a similar talk of what I'm giving you, and I didn't plagiarize him. I found it during the research. Christmas Eve, when? 1954? No. 2004? No. Christmas Eve, December 20, 
1854. 1854. He gave an entire sermon on Christmas Eve regarding the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. We probably won't get to that sermon, but I wanted to introduce you to my three friends who I lean on heavily for wisdom, but I get on my knees and on my face and I ask God to use my stumbling words and clumsy presentation to organize it in a way that I can convey what he wants you to hear. So, which Christmas do you celebrate? The bulbs, the presents, the Santa? How'd Santa get into it and the reindeers and all that? Or do we talk about the significance, the meaning, the depth, the personal, singular reason for its occurrence? The wise man gave gold, incense, and myrrh. Remember, he was two years old. And the wise man did not go back to um, Herod the Great and tell him where the child was. They slipped back a different route, and he put a decree out to kill them also. Nice guy. Good neighbor. The importance of the gold, incense, and myrrh is gold is for a king. He was king of the Jews. He was the God child. He was God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the word, which we read in John, First John. And the word was with us and the word was among us. And they gave him incense. Incense is something of a sacrifice. You would use incense for sacrifice. Christ was born to die. We're born and die, but Christ was born to die. And myrrh is used to embalm and for the dead. These foreshadow what exactly the reason that Christ was born. So tomorrow on Christmas, when the kids bring in their stockings and it's too early to get up and you get a cup of coffee in you and the presents are flying and wrapping papers everywhere and save the bows over here. The kids are having a good time. I know this is an innocent uh, declaration statement, but it's one that really bothers me. Um, and if it's you, you might want to change it up a little bit. People say, oh, Christmas is for kids. And what they mean is, you know, bicycles and new toys and new Game Boys or Walkman or whatever happens to be the thing. But Christmas isn't for kids. Christmas is the savior of the world come to die. It's a love story. He loved you so much. And he loved you before you loved him. Have you bought the Bible? Have you bent your heart? Have you opened your soul for God to come in? 
he came from outside of history. Spurgeon says in his sermon of 1854 on New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, sorry, Christmas Eve, is your heart of Bethlehem? Can you open your heart and let Christ in tomorrow if he's not already there? We talked about on the subway, on a bench, on a freeway, driving with your eyes open, a prayer that you surrender your life for Christ to come in and dwell with you. He came for that purpose. He was born for that purpose. So the gold, the incense, and the myrrh, the advent was the forthcoming, the initiation, the bringing forth of not only the first, but the second coming of Christ. So we've discussed Matthew 1, 1, all the way to 17, why we have to have the Messiah, the Christ, which is the Greek translation of Messiah. Messiah, the anointed one, is a Hebrew. And the genealogy, why? The genealogy is to prove that our Lord Jesus is of the nation and family of Jeremiah 31, 15, of which the Messiah was prophesied. I'm going to go by these real fast, just so you know that there are documentations and prophetic words thousands of years before the birth of Christ. And if you want, you can come back and later and write them down. Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 22, 18, 2 Samuel 7, 12, and Psalms 89, 3. They all speak of Christ. Because unless he was the son of Abraham and David and of the lineage, he wasn't the Messiah. So that has to be taken care of and clearly. So she, the cousin Elizabeth hides Mary because she's great with child now. Uh, Elizabeth is already six months ahead of her in her sixth month. And off they go to Bethlehem. And it says at the bottom of Luke 1, 26 to 38, which is the story, after the angel was there and told her not to be afraid, because she was terrified, the angel left. Can you imagine having an angelic, celestial meeting of you just in your garage working on a project and an angel be, appears before you what do they always tell you in scripture what are the first things out of the angel's mouth when mary and mary magdalene came to the empty tomb in christ what did the angels say there do not be afraid do not be afraid it says that the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field who didn't take two years to find the Lord. 
he appeared to him and shone the light of God and the shepherds fell on their face and were terrified. There's a thin line between fear and reverence. But if you come into the presence of the living God, it'll be a terrifying, beautiful experience. So don't think that you are casually slipping by on planet Earth, going about your merry way, doing your thing, and you're going to take care of this some other time. I want you to imagine yourself, not through fear, not through intimidation. I want you to imagine yourself naked before your creator and the judgment seat that says all men, all women will go there. Saved, unsaved, I don't care what the title is. You will not have your homies, your buds, your friends, your attorney. You do not have an advocate. We talked about the advocate last time. The advocate is Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be nice to show up to the Bema Seat of Christ naked before the Creator and God's already your advocate? Your attorney is there. He's going to speak on your behalf. He's going to defend you and he will usher you in. So I go and, pl- and build a, a place. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I want you to think about Christmas. Which Christmas are you celebrating? Matthew 1, 18 to 21. The first thing Joseph, before they went on their way to, for the census, was to divorce Mary. They were engaged to divorce her because he feared for her life. This was not a time when you, you know, were 16, 18, not married, graduating from high school with a big belly and a big sign that says baby with an arrow, like you're very proud that you're 18 and you've accomplished getting pregnant. This was a time when if you were pregnant out of wedlock in the Old Testament, you are in danger. So we know that the angel said his name will be Jesus, Emmanuel, Lord with us. And in Isaiah 7, I picked this verse up. It's in Isaiah, the Old Testament. This is in chapter 7. the ninth verse and the second part of the ninth verse. It says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I like that. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. What is a man in this world's most cherished possession that they can have? 
man to man. To me, it's a man's word. Once you violate your word, once you cross someone, once you lie, once you're not accountable, you have lost, you have lost the most valued possession in this world is your word. So if you don't stand firm in your faith now, where you're going to get ridiculed and people are going to cancel you, I don't even know what that means. Like cancel, we're going to like go through media waves and they're going to dissolve you. What are you afraid of? What are we afraid of? The silliness. Standing before your creator, you're going to wish that you stood and not out of fear, out of respect, because you want to. There's a hole that needs to be filled. And the present is Christ, the child who came to die. So Emmanuel, God with us. That's page two, page one, page two B. Matthew one twenty two to twenty five. New International Version. Time for a sip of water. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name of Jesus. During the kingdom of Judah, back in the sermon by Spurgis, C.H. Spurgis, he brings up one verse and that verse is Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. And King Ahaz was in a fix, is in a bad way. The kingdom of Judah was in imminent peril. So he decided that what he would do To shut off the water so his enemies that were attacking him were going to seize the city. And behold, it says in Isaiah in the Old Testament, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
That's Isaiah 7:14. So as I said, the kingdom of Judah with King Ahaz was in a fix. Two monarchs had ganged up against him, Syria and part of Israel. They come up against the walls of Jerusalem with the full intent to just burn the city. Ahaz, the king, was in great trouble. He exerted all his ingenuity to defend the city, and among other, his wisdom taught him to cut off the water supply. When he went to do that, he was met by the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Ask for a sign. Ask for any sign you want. If you want God to utterly destroy both the nations that have risen up against Judah, Ahaz need not fear the present invasion for both himself and his kingdom will be saved. But it goes on to say in this sermon that he asked him for us to ask God for a sign. And he said, I don't want to test the Lord thy God. And he says, okay, then I'll give you a sign, a consummate sign, a consummate wisdom. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. This is thousands of years before Christ was born. That was his whole verse for his whole sermon. And he is the one who said, do you have space for the Christ child? So in Matthew 1, 22 to 25, you have to ask yourself, do you know what the birth of Christ means? And you have to ask yourself, are you willing to open your heart and receive him? We have minimized Christmas <clears throat> to a degree that it's been taken from us. And I want you tomorrow, I encourage you tomorrow to take one of these scriptures, just one, and read it to your family. Just read God's words out loud. And it can be from Matthew 1, 22 to 25. That's three verses. And you don't need to get into the Old Testament prophecy. But I wanted you to try to get your hands around the depth of what Christmas is, why certain gifts were given, why the timing, why King Herod was terrified of another ruler. There is prophecy of the women 
not being comforted for killing. Imagine Roman soldiers coming into your house and any boy two years of age or younger was just killed before your eyes because one man. In Luke 2, 4 to 14, in the New International, this is in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place. By, while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, been there, to Judea, to Bethlehem. If you look on a map of those days, you can see it was quite a long trek. There's high mountains in Israel, and they're very cold, and they got a lot of snow, not just flat desert. So they have to take either one of two routes. So he went to Bethlehem, the, hound, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the lineage of David, as we talked about in Matthew 1.1. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While there, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Where are we? Luke 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book, New Testament, second chapter. We're in the seventh verse of the second chapter. <clears throat> and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Have you ever met a shepherd, a real shepherd? They're usually Basque, little town, or Basque, I'm sorry. Little country, town, village, entity between Spain and France. They don't speak English, and they don't speak French, and they don't speak Spanish. They speak Basque. I had the privilege of spending two episodes. One was overnight watching sheep that we impounded when I was a police officer, earlier podcast. They're a very unique, solemn, dedicated, lonely life. They're dogs and they're sheep. So when Jesus said, we're the sheep, he's our shepherd. You're in good hands. He takes care of his sheep. And if 99 were found and one was lost, he would still go after the one, find it. An angel, verse 9, of the Lord appeared to him, to them, the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Ten. But the angel said to them, class, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior will be born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts. I guess there's angels and other entities, but a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. It doesn't say a great company of angels appeared with the angel. A great company of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests, and peace and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So, first were the shepherds, freaked out. A great company of heavenly hosts. What does that even look like? Singing, praising the Christ child. We talked about the Magi, which were just wise men. We talked about King Herod. So, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out that from them the exact time the star had appeared. King Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. But you're not a Magi or a smart guy for nothing. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. Now he's two years old. So if you see a nativity scene, it was a two-year-old zipping around. He wasn't in a manger at that time. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, Mary. When they came to the house, they didn't come to the manger. They saw the child and Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, king, king of the Jews. Frankincense. A sacrifice of the temple. Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Ever heard that? What does it mean? Well, you had to atone for your sins. So you had two turtle doves. You had to have a pigeon. You had to have a lamb perfectly. No spots, no blemishes, no defects. And that would be sacrifice, and that blood would cover your sins. But that only was temporary. So they presented him with what's foreshadowing the reason he was there. And having been warned in a dream, don't take dreams lightly. There's a part of your 
soul that comes out at night. I used to tell my kids, we used to, have a, we used to call it a bowl until a bowl meant something more than cereal. And my kids would snicker. They didn't think, oh, that dad knew what that meant. But it'd be late at night and say, hey, you gonna have a bowl? Cereal. And we had some of the best conversations. And I said, where does your spirit go when you go to sleep? And they looked at me, milk dripping from their mouths. What do you mean? I said, well, where does it go? It's free to leave. It's free to come out. Where does your spirit go? It can go anywhere. There is a time in that quasi-sleep, quasi-awake dream. So the wise men, the Magi, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they returned to their country by another route. Smart guys. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Matthew 2, 13 to 18. Matthew's the first book. So we're going between Matthew and Luke. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Pretty direct. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Not too weird because my dad got up in the middle of the night when we lived in New York. And whatever didn't fit in a small box didn't get to go into the brand night. It was brand new, a woody, real wood on the outside of the station wagon. And we drove from New York to California with four children, one handicapped child, my brother, and my mother's wedding dress and all photos. We left in the middle of the night for reasons I won't go into, but there were guys looking for him that were going to do him and maybe his family harm. So when I read this, like, I was 18 months old. I don't remember that. Um, but people do get up and leave in the middle of the night. So when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, because they had left, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boy, boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah, again, connecting Old Testament with New Testament. It's just connecting these lines. The more you look, there's more connections. What does it say in Jeremiah? It says, Jeremiah 31, 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. If you read on, you'll see the connection between the decree from Herod after Joseph, Mary, and the Christ child escaped into Egypt so not to be killed.
So I think we're getting close to time. Yes, we are. It's 2.02. So I want you to have a blessed Christmas. I want you to have a merry M-A-R-Y Christmas. I want you to think about what we discussed. I want you to get in a still small space. Close the closet door and get on your knees. Put your face down in your hands. And give your life to Jesus. The reason he was born was to die for your sins. So that you could have an abundant life on this earth. And eternity. I hope through my ramblings that something stuck, something meant something. You got something out of it. It's a lot to cover. And I over prepare. But I wish you the most blessed time and may this Christmas be a merry, M-A-R-Y Christmas. God bless you. And when we speak again, we'll take off where we left off in John and First John. God bless you. Be safe. And I'll see you the next time.